Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today we get to spend time with the incredible Kelly Murphy. Murph, uh... Kelly is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, uh, retired after 22 years. He is the season one champion of Toughest Nails on CBS, which is a great show. And he's currently the director of the Military and Veterans Center at the University of Central Missouri. He's also big into fitness and health and uh, one of the best followers on social media today. So, uh, Kelly, it's great to have you on here. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. One of the cool things, I think where we want to start here is... Coming out of the pandemic, and I know I hate dating this type of stuff, but it was cool starting to follow um, different people. And obviously, a lot of people I follow or associate with are either military or law enforcement. But you were one of the few people um, that I think really used it to your advantage. And it's one of those things where uh, obviously you're a little bit older than I am. But even then, it's like playing catch up with technology and using technology as a means to get out an important message or something out there. And it's like, how like how was it for you as you kind of transitioned into that kind of social media world to get out the cool stuff you're doing for veterans and all this stuff? Yeah, it, the show actually gave me a great opportunity. So at the university, my job is to help veterans go back to school, uh, facilitate different things that they need when it comes to education, whether or not they're active duty or veterans or retirees going um, back to school. But when the show aired, I had so many people reach out to me. Um, for example, I was invited to the Capitol um, of Missouri. I met the governor. I met so many members of the House of Representatives, different senators from the state. And they gave me, so many of them gave me their personal contact information and said, hey, if you know of anything that veterans need, reach out to me directly because I sit on this veteran committee or I sit on this committee. And because normally, you know, Kelly Murphy's not going to get that invitation from them, but this, but Murph from tough as nails, you know, they reached out to, to me and said, Hey, we'd like to help in these ways. And a lot of them have held true to their word. Um, I reached out to a few of them just about some veteran stuff that was raised to me. So I just forwarded to them um, for their action. And then different organizations, for example, there's a few places that do service dogs. Um, they reached out and said, hey, we have some service animals we'd like to donate to veterans. And I just connect the dots. And, you know, I find some veterans that are in need and I just connect them to the organization and the organization takes over. So I do it a lot through Instagram, posting the stories. Uh, mostly a lot of Instagram stories is how I get a lot of the word out you know, random posts, but social media has been a great way to, to help give back to the veteran community. One of the interesting things there, when it comes in terms of giving back and you've served 22 years in the Marine Corps, when you, and I do want to talk about eventually the transition into the civilian world and all using military skills into what you're doing now, but was going, serving the military veterans and people coming out now, was that always going to be your goal, even after 22 years, to continue to give back to other people and other veterans? Uh, I think so. I think, um, you know, when you get out or you retire, whether or not you're in for a couple of years or in for a, a career, 
when you see other veterans that are transitioning, um, you just want to make sure that their transition is smooth. And for myself now, my youngest daughter has been in the Navy now for two and a half years. So oh, she's awesome. serving. Um, she's actually home on Christmas leave right now. So I've got to see her the past few days. Um, so, you know, so now I'm helping people that are like my daughter, you know, these young military kids that are serving their country. So when they transition back to the civilian world, there's a bunch of us, you know, older guys that, and older ladies that are, you know, willing to help out these young kids getting out of the military. When it, in terms, when you first joined the military, the terms of recruitment and in, in terms of as you transitioned out, what changes have you noticed? And obviously, you can talk about your daughter, the recruitment for your daughter versus you, and then as you transition out to uh, what's happening now. Like, have you? What are some similarities or differences you've kind of noticed, or some really good things that the military is starting to do now? Well, I think the, a lot of the things that I noticed with recruiters nowadays. So when I joined the Marine Corps. I basically kind of stumbled into it. it was English class uh, right before lunch, my senior year. And one of my friends turned around to me and said, Hey, what are you doing after school today? I'm like, Hey, I'm not doing much. He's like, why don't you talk to the Marine Corps recruiter with me? I thought, wow, Vernon's really looking out for my future. You know, think about me. Well, he really wasn't. He was looking for people to join under his name to get promoted. But at the time I gave him credit for looking out for me. Um, I went and talked to the recruiter and you know, by that afternoon, I was sold. So I joined the Marine Corps that week uh, for six years of my initial enlistment. Um, I didn't really talk to any, any of the other recruiters, but sometimes what I think the recruiters are doing now is some of them will actually encourage the young men or young ladies that they talk to to talk to all the branches and make a decision based upon what's best for them. Um, I noticed that with my with my daughter's recruiter, when he came over to the house to speak to her about the Navy, um, he actually mentioned, hey, um, it'd be a good idea to go talk to um, uh, these other branches too and see what they have to say. So I'm not saying all of them do that, but I've noticed several that I've talked to in our local community actually talk to kids and they'll encourage them to check out another branch if they don't think that branch is right for them, which is, is a pretty cool thing to do. Do the current, and I don't like to get political, but with current events, whether it's a war or just stuff happening in the military branches, does that affect the recruiting process? Like, how has that happened? Or maybe maybe during the pandemic, were less people doing this because they were didn't want to get the vaccine or vice versa? Like, how important is it that when you come to recruiting the military people today that you're, the ultimate goal is serving other people and giving your life and service to others, but is there any time where you kind of sit back and see, watch the news or how I must say maybe the media, how they put this stuff out there where it's like, maybe I want to serve, but then you see something on the news. You're like, well, what am I going to do that? Because there's person saying the VA sucks right now, or this person saying it's great, or they're saying, I got to do this. If I want to do that, it's like, how do you, as if you're a young kid that wants to do this and serve, some of the stuff might be scary off to the point where it's like, is it even worth it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll use example. I was on recruiting duty um, during September 11th. So oh, wow. when that happened, I was actually in a high school talking to kids about the Marine Corps, like our mission, you know, doing a career. We call them career talks. And, um, you know, a teacher pulled me aside and said, hey, you need to check out the news. So I went down to the the teacher's lounge where, you know, a bunch of teachers were huddled. And I'm like, wow, you know, can't believe what's going on, just like the rest of America. And then. I, my next two years on recruiting was during that time. 
And we, the recruiting numbers at first, the willingness to join um, was high, but the commitment was still about the same as it always had been the previous year I was out there. So it does generate a lot of interest at the time it did. Um, but when it came to overall numbers, my recruiting numbers really stayed about the average the whole time I was out there, right? I would say for about the six months after 9-11 um, happened, the inquiries and the amount of people that wanted to serve increased. But unfortunately, um, a lot of them were like guys my age at the time right. wanted to come in, um, people that were disqualified, wanted to pick up you know, arms for the country. But unfortunately, the, the qualified candidates were about the same. The the qual when it comes to the qualifications to get to that level, and I understand because I was in the federal government, and there was at the time, I believe the Secret Service was if any age past thirty seven, you can't join because you've aged out. But is that something that the military has to look at and see if, like maybe there is is there loopholes like positive ones where it's like this person might not be able to be out in the field, but we could use his intellect or skill set for certain stuff. Like how. When it, in terms of that stuff, how lenient is the branches when it comes to if this person really wants to serve, we could use them in this way. But is it difficult to do that or do you have to all fall under the same umbrella? Well, each each branch has its own you know, requirements or regulations. I know for like the age requirement at the time, I believe the Marine Corps for us was age 28 was like the cutoff. But you could do an age waiver. Gotcha. Um, so each branch has its own waivers for whatever like qualifications and those waivers go up to, you know, if they're big waivers, they would go all the way to the headquarters. Sometimes the local commander can sign a waiver off. It just depends on, you know, how significant that the request is, I should say. Um, but I know each branch can waive their own um, qualifications depending upon the needs of that service. You've openly in other podcasts talked about the how you dealt with the VA and some of the benefits and all the stuff that people the, the stuff that's out there readily available for people to use and take advantage of but it's like I've also talked with people that had poor experiences so like I, I guess again, the question is is there anything the VA could do that could be more uh, helpful to veterans or is this one of these things where a lot of these situations maybe come down to the individual um, and you also talk about taking advantage of opportunities and maybe there's certain people that aren't taking advantage of these opportunities. So is, is there a correlation here with individuals versus what the VA is actually doing or not doing? You know, that's a good, good point you brought up when it, I've seen the VA go good and bad with different people. You know, you'll talk to one, uh, one of my coworkers now, and they had a great experience with the VA. VA was there to serve them, did all the follow throughs. And then I meet other um, people that say the VA failed them, didn't follow through, had to wait forever. Um, I wish I could really answer that question. I think the person that can answer the, that question um, needs to be hired by the VA to just to, to, to be the problem solver. Because I've seen it go both ways. Like I said, I've seen the, the good stories and the bad right. stories. Yeah, it is fascinating because sometimes you hear the stories I hear of some of the people who have fought in like the Baghdad and like Afghanistan, Iraq and everything. They're they're pissed off because they don't want to take these medications or they're yelling at the therapist there. But then you talk to people maybe a little bit older or currently like the last couple of years. And it's like, oh, I'm having great experiences. They're setting me up with the right programs, the right outreach. So, I again, part of me is kind of like 
it there's only so much a certain organization can do. Now, obviously, every organization can approve, but it comes down to the individual to take advantage of certain your life, right? And it's like, and I love that you talk about that because it's like, here's you, all these opportunities that came up, take advantage of them, right? Because if you don't, someone else will, and you'll still be kind of maybe sitting in your self pity. Yeah, I think for me, like just knowing what each. So, for example, when I help people out with the VA, when it goes, maybe I'll use the example going back to school, is research and find out everything that you're eligible for. And then from there, you know, start making the phone calls or the contacts early and be proactive instead of being reactive. So when it comes to going back to school, you know, find out what you need to do as a veteran to, you know, get your certificate, your certificate of eligibility, find out what it, what you need in order to get enrolled, do all your homework. And that way you're, you're more prepared. It also alleviates your frustration too. The one of the things that comes so when I work in my company, I do a lot of the hiring of whether it's law enforcement, military, a lot of the stuff I've come across when it comes to resumes, people, the military guys and women will say these crazy radio skills, all this stuff that you're obviously great at, but I think it scares off civilian people that are hiring you. And so when I go through a resume, I see uh, comms and us, I go, well, you're great with communication skills. And like, so I go through there to help them do the resume stuff. Is it was it difficult for you to translate your military skills and training into something that would appease or make sense to a civilian person so you could hire someone? Yeah, because I mean, no matter if you're in for four, six, or twenty some years, you know, you have a certain way of talking. You right. Know, <laughs> yeah. You know, you use acronyms, you use lingo that only you know the military is very familiar with, and it's so embedded in you that you don't realize that you no. Know, the civilian population on, as a whole doesn't talk like that. So I wrote my first resume and I thought it was great. So I used a, um, I went to a person that I knew that had experience writing resumes and I had them look at it and they're like, no, that that's <laughs> no. And I thought I did a good job taking out, you know, all the verbiage. And so I let them take a look at it. And so I would suggest that you take it to, um, either, well, for example, every base, at least on the Marine Corps, has a transition assistance program where you go to this, this class for a couple of days or a week at a time and you, you learn how to transition. The VA comes and talks to you. You have resume writing um, classes and things of that nature. I would take advantage of those. Um, LinkedIn also has some good right. people that you out to for resume help. But I would actually seek somebody um, that can actually assist with the resume. Um, like I said, I thought I did a great job of transforming mine into civilian lingo. And I was told, no, that's trash. So they, but they helped me write mine. Um, and it captured my first job. I was an HR manager when I first retired. So they have captured that because I would have never thought that's a route that I could have went when I retired from the Marine Corps. And um, they're like, hey, about HR? And they, because they looked at my resume I'm like, well, I never thought about that. And they help create that resume specifically for you know, the HR field. And that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize. You've done multiple things in the military. You can have resumes that cover multiple skills based upon what career field you're looking at. Right. If we, As you've lived the military career for 20 years and you get close to retirement, is there any fear on your part that maybe the civilian world's not going to be 
adequate to what you're used to or like that safety that of like you said the comforts of the lingo and the language and the relationships you have is there any fear on your part as you kind of come into the civilian world oh actually i was scared to death you know so the marine corps i went in when i was 18 and then you know i retired when i was 40 so you know my whole adult life was spent as a as a marine so transitioning was very scary because i'm like i don't know what to expect you know everything from Okay, I wear a camouflage outfit, you know, <laughs> outfit every day to work, and now I have to wear different clothes every day. Like, just everything changes. So one of the things I talk to about veterans is, for me, it's physical fitness. I find the one thing in life that I can count on to always be there, you know, because I know your schedule is going to change, your work attire is going to change, the time that you go to work may change. Your lunch hours will change. Everything changes from military to civilian. But find the one thing that you can be consistent and count on. And for me, it was just physical fitness because that's the one thing that I could, I could always count on that would be there. That was the norm for the military was physical fitness. <coughs> it's one of those things where I can only imagine the difficulty, especially with the job you have now as veterans are transitioning to the civilian world. You have to, for you, you had to finish your career, the 22 years, all while trying to figure out what you're doing next while maintaining the job you're currently doing. It's like, I can see where veterans in that little time period, and, I, and the reason I say this is because I uh, went to high school with one kid and he went to the military. He had, he struggled for like six months to a year after leaving because he got into the booze and he was, he just got like this crazy, like, I can't do this. It's tough. And it's like, I'm, he just got inundated with the transition. And it's like, could you kind of maybe touch upon that? Well, the difficulty of maintaining your current job in the military, all while preparing the next part of your life. Yeah. I remember when I submitted for retirement, I, you know, I picked my retirement date. Uh, headquarters Marine Corps came back and approved it. So now it's like, okay, <clears throat> excuse me. So now I'm like, it's so now it's game time. You know, you're, you're putting out your resume, you're applying to different jobs. And uh, I know at first I applied to a couple and I wasn't getting any phone calls back. I'm like, wow, um, nothing yet, nothing yet. And then I started applying to more and more. And I kept a little tracker so I knew exactly what I applied to, the date I applied for it, so I could do my follow-ups and things of that nature. So you are right. You're still doing your normal job, um, you know, because that doesn't go away. Um, you're trying to find a job that's totally different from what you're doing now in a lot of cases. So it was stressful just to find that balance. So I would just pick at certain times of the day where I can do a little bit of follow through with jobs, you know, make some phone calls during lunch to do follow up on interviews. Um, and then it was really a matter of just staying organized, um, knowing who you've talked to previously, who you apply to, what positions you apply to. Like I said, keeping track of the resumes. I had a, three different versions for three different career fields I was looking at going into. So making sure you just stay organized is really, for me, is what helped um, keep the stress down. Whenever I see, um, like these uh, like veterans on the streets that are homeless or just down and out veterans that serve this country. And like, they, they don't hate like the mental health is off or their physical health. It's the anger I have when I see that. And again, not to get overtly political, but when you see all these 
these bills and all this pork add to all these bills about funding other stuff. It's like, I, this isn't me knocking the fact that I think we should, every human being on this earth has the right to be live healthily, safe from harm. But why aren't we, or what is the reasoning why our number one priority right now isn't helping our homeless veterans or veterans that serve this country? Like it's, it just boggles my mind. Is there anything you could touch upon where it's like, how do I direct my anger towards that into a maybe a beneficial thing where maybe there's an organization I can reach out to as a civilian and be like, I want to dedicate this time or this. Like, what do I do to for, like focus my anger in the direction that's actually helpful? I know it's sometimes we lose. I've, I've lost faith sometimes with the government when it comes to that. You right. see so many, um, you know, the videos of the homeless veterans yeah. and just general. Um, I encourage people to write their representatives you know, write their the representatives that they they voted in, and ask them to do something about it. I mean, really, that's when it comes to the government. That's really all we can do is reach out to our elected officials and let them know, hey, these are things that, as a taxpayer and somebody that voted for you, that's what we would like you to focus on. Right. Um, sometimes I get that those representatives work for us; we don't work for them. Um, so they need to do some of the things that we're asking. And I think our government, the left or the right as a whole, yes. have gotten <laughs> um, be the people are their bosses. And I think that's something I wish they would remember. Yeah, it's crazy that obviously war involves politics and who's right and who's wrong. But it's like the aftermath of that should not be political. Like it, ju it just boggles my mind that there's not more emphasis on <laughs> cleaning up our streets and by cleaning up, Hey, you a veteran, like, let's get you some help. Let's get you some clothes. Let's get you, let's find you a job. It's like the people out there want to help. It's just, I, for me, it's like, when you watch the news, it's like, you just get turned away from wanting to be helped. I don't know. It's just such a weird thing, man. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you get burned because you, yeah. you hear about this organization that was great. You maybe people donated to it and then you find out that it was all a fraud or a scam. And it makes a lot of people gun shy, you know, on just giving to an organization in general. Like, is this another one that's going to pop up in the news in the next year saying, Hey, it was a fraud organization. And now all that money never went to who it was supposed to go to. You, you kind of mentioned a couple of questions ago about the, the dedication to the fitness and gym and stuff like that. But for those people that maybe are looking for that purpose or that kind of hobby that can, they can hyper-focus on, what advice do you have for them that for those that maybe don't think they have enough time in the day to do that? Or uh, like, because for you, if anyone follows your Instagram, which I highly suggest, I mean, you're doing crazy deadlifts and squats, like all this, you're super dedicated to the craft and fitness and healthy living. But for those that want to get to that position, like what's what are some early steps they can kind of do to kind of get to what maybe one day be at your level? Well, I think I appreciate the compliment. Um, I think just finding finding the time in your schedule, making the time for yourself, because nobody's going to make the time for you. So I get up a few days a week and early in the morning and I try to get my training done before work and then. Sometimes it's after work, you know, right after work, I leave the office, head to the gym, knock out the workout, then, then try to get home at a decent hour. So I think it's just finding the time. And then once you find the time, make it a habit. You know, it takes, a, what, a few weeks to establish a habit, right. you know, a habit of doing that, whether or not it's 
you know, building, you know, models or reading a book or just finding time for yourself. It's once you get a time that you're used to just stick with it. And then before you know it, when you miss that opportunity or you miss that, um, that level of what you're doing, I guess what I'm saying is once you establish that habit and then once you miss a day, then you'd be like, Oh man, I, I, I feel miserable for missing that day. And you know, you won't want to miss again. You know, there's certain days, you know, we just can't do what we want to do because of schedule, whatever. But if you can just make it a habit early on, then I think that definitely helps. And then find, you know, find what, find what really makes you happy. You're when it comes to the actual the physicality of doing the weights, have you always been someone that when it comes to what you do, whether it's a deadlift or squat, do you also have to eat healthy? Is that always been something that's always been part of your uh, career and life in terms of it's a one, it's a big package where you have to eat healthy, sleep and stuff like that. Or are you able to kind of just kind of dabble here and there in different aspects of it? Well, in high school, I was like super skinny like the kind of skinny that you, you know, you get made fun of for. And then when I joined the Marine Corps, so I started lifting weights a little bit, my junior year of high school. Um, I had a coach that was very instrumental. Um, he was a former Marine um, and he was a big guy. He was like six foot four, 260 pounds, Cherokee Indian. Um, he was an amazing coach. He was a great mentor. Um, he was strong and um, he would open up the gym for us every morning before school. And he's like, all right, see you tomorrow. Yes, coach. So you would go lift weights before school. And then, you know, you go to school, then whatever sport you were in, you know, you'd practice in the afternoon. But he's the reason why I still lift weights in the morning, because he created that habit in 1988 when I was yeah. a junior. And then I continued that in the Marine Corps. And obviously during the Marine Corps, a lot of your PT time, your physical yeah. training morning. And then especially if you were in the infantry side or the ground side, you know, you are PT is a focus. It's a part of your life. Um, and as a Marine physical fitness is part of your life. And then when I retired, they said I wanted to keep that up. And I knew that I didn't want to turn into some of my friends that unfortunately kind of let themselves go. So I just made sure I, you know, I was eating right. Um, I track my calories and stuff like that. I, I don't go overboard. Um, I just try to eat healthy um, and just try to maintain a certain weight. But it really, it, I just focus on on the strength stuff. I love strength training. Um, you know, I, I started CrossFit when I was in the Marine Corps and I kept up with that. So I'm a coach at our local gym um, and we call it Red Horse Fitness. It's actually, it's owned by an Air Force veteran of mine that's a friend. He works at Whiteman Air Force Base. So we have a lot of veterans that use the facility and we talk to them about, you know, staying healthy, helping them out for their PT tests and things of that nature. So that's really, that's what my passion is, is physical fitness. I love training people. I love making people healthy. I love helping people pass the tests that they couldn't pass. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. We have a young lady right now that she's a local police officer. She wants to pass the SWAT, um, the local SWAT test. So we're helping her. Um, get better physically so when she takes that test she can crush it and you know hopefully go into the SWAT field in her career so that's what I enjoy is just helping people get better physically I mean it helps mentally too you know those of you um, 
that, you know, you finish that workout, you feel so much better mentally when you walk away than you did when you went into the gym, no matter what kind of training you do. Now, as we try to transition into when you won season one of Tough as Nails, like even when you go back and watch some of the episodes when it first aired, like you, you look at someone like you and it's like, man, I don't know how you bet against this guy. So before we even get to the you winning that and some of like the the aspects of the television drama, how does that even like the, how do you even hear of this show? Do they reach out to you or is this something again like you take advantage of the opportunities and just submit your resume? Like how does it come to be? Well, so I'll, it's a long story, but I'll kind of make it short. When I retired from the Marine Corps, you know, like I said, I was doing CrossFit stuff. I was at a competition and this company's like, hey, we'd like to sponsor you. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? They're like, hey, we'll throw you some shirts, you know, every so often you wear them, post them on social media. I'm like, okay, I have, uh, what's social media? And they're like, Instagram. I'm like, oh, what's Instagram? <laughs> Excuse me. I'm like, what's Instagram? And they're like, okay, old timer. I'm like, old time, I'm like 40 years old. And they're like, okay, oh, start an Instagram account. So I started, that's why I started my Instagram account. So this company would, you know, give me some shirts. I would post to social media, maybe a picture of me wearing it or a video of working out in the shirt and I'd shout them out. So the Instagram grew just a little bit, you know, not much. And then in January of 2019, I got a message um, saying, hey, my name's Jonathan. I'm from the Discovery Channel. I'd like to talk to you about a show. So I deleted the message because I thought it was spam or, you know, a scam. And uh, so not much longer, I got a, another message. And uh, and he said, no, I'm real. You know, check me out. And I, I did some research. And sure enough, he was a casting producer for Discovery Channel. So I did some Zoom calls for one of their shows. And unfortunately, their show just never got off the ground. But I walked away going, well, that's a cool opportunity. You know, I've never done casting for a show before. And uh, in several months later, so October of 2019, so later that year, he reached out to me and said, hey, Murph, CBS is doing the show. You'd be amazing. You should apply. So he sent me the application. Um, I clicked on it. It took like 30 seconds to apply. And that afternoon, CBS called me and said, hey, can you do a Zoom call tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I did a Zoom call. And then about a week later, um, the casting team said, hey, can you do another Zoom call? And I said, absolutely. So we scheduled it. This time it was with Phil Kogan, the host of the show, and several other um, co of his co-producers. And Phil specifically talked about one of my deadlift videos. And <laughs> He just talked about one of the deadlift videos that I had on my Instagram and asked me some questions. And he said, why, why would you want to be on a show like this? And really, um, I retired from the Marine Corps 22 years. My full plan was to go 30. And the reason I retired um, at 22 was because I did so many deployments back to back that I wanted to watch my kids grow up. Yeah. At the time, this was in sixth grade. And I knew that if I stayed in another eight years, most of that time would be deployed or away from the kids. So that's why I retired at 22. So part of me felt like I had some unfinished business. I'd been retired from the Marine Corps for about nine years um, when the show opportunity came up. And I'm like, well, Phil, I want to prove to myself that I could still kick ass like I did when I was in the Marine Corps. And uh, he said, thanks very much. The, the Zoom call lasted maybe two minutes. So I walked away going, okay, well, that's a great opportunity, you know, yeah. two minutes. And then about a week later, um, the casting team called me and said, Hey, we'd like to fly you out to LA for the casting process. 
And that was in December, right before Christmas. And you do a bunch of different things for casting. You know, you do like a physical, um, you talk in front of the camera and then, you know, background checks, things of that nature. And that was right before the week before Christmas of 2019. And I think January 2nd of 2020, um, Jenny, who's the casting director, called and said, hey, Murph, we want you on the show. Can you be out here on the 15th for 30 days? I'm like, wow. Um, I'll see what I could do. Um, you know, I had just started my job at UCM. So I had to talk to the president about the time off. And, you know, I explained to him as much as I could, you know, cause you have, um, you know, the confidentiality agreements and the, and the non-disclosure forms. So I can only tell him so much, but he got the idea what I was going to do. And he said, absolutely take the time you need. So in January of, I think it was 15th, I flew out to California where you film all 10 episodes within that 30 day period. It's a, uh... It's so funny because again, like I said, some of the people on there, you're just like, dude, this this Murph guy is gonna eat these people up. And it's like, but I guess so. I guess my question is, and obviously you did, but like, how about is was it difficult for you being who you are with your background? Because every time I've had like a guest on the show that's had to do like reality TV, like Naked and Afraid or like Alone and stuff like that, how the drama that gets manufactured created by the production and stuff does that ever get in the way of you or like your like your game plan like how how much of it of this show specifically for you was the real deal as opposed to let's create some drama here you know what that's the best thing about the show actually is that the like phil and his team don't yeah oh that's awesome the only guidance they gave us was be yourself and just do the stuff the best you can and that's it. So everything that it, because people ask me, is the show real? I'm like, 100%, it's real. Awesome. There's drama. There's no script. We don't do something again because it didn't look right on camera. You know, somebody didn't read their lines right. Yeah, there's, it's a totally unscripted. So everything that you see, at least for the season I was on, it's, it's real. No, you know, when we argue with people, it's that's a real argument. When you see people crying, those are real tears of joy or real tears of sadness. So it's definitely 100% real. And and that's why I support the show to this day. You know, that's why I try to, um, you know, shout out Tough as Nails or let the people know yeah. that they season four is coming out just because the show is genuine and true. And it's, you know, it's a lot of team building because there is the team aspect to the show, um, you know, and the the show will surprise a lot of people, you know, for example, Michelle on, on my season, um, 62 year old lady is not very tiny and she eliminated some of the top males. Um, so it's, she's the genuine, don't judge a book by its cover. And I knew that as a Marine, some of my smallest Marines were my most fierce Marines ever. So I knew that it, and you never know what her people's skills are, you know, right. because that's not physical that shows about, Hey, what can you do with your hands? What can you do with your mind and your hands together? So a lot of that show, you know, it's just not about brute force. It's about life skills and, and, life, and life knowledge. And part of the thing I thought was interesting, you mentioned teamwork, but as it got towards the end, you were the last one on your team. And it's spoiler alert for people who haven't seen it yet. Uh, but how was it difficult for you in those situations, whether it's tough as nails or say you're, it's just you working on a project or you working on trying to get this, the SWAT officer ready is that is it you versus the world mentality or is it something where it's like your training experience it doesn't matter the situation you can harbor your own even whether it's an individual team aspect itself 
yeah, I think, I think I know when to turn it off and turn it on. You know, when, when do I focus on my team or when do I focus on me more? Right. And I think that's the good balance about the show is, you know, a lot of times you are competing, especially on an individual day, you were competing against your teammates and with the potential to eliminate them. But you know that that's what you have to do. You have to go hard against them because that's what you do, you know, as a competitor. But at the same time, the next day, now you're working together side by side with the person that maybe you just eliminated. But now you know as a professional that, hey, we're, we have to work as a team today. So no matter what happened yesterday, that's water under the bridge. You know, we have to work together on, on whatever the project is, whether or not that's life or military or a TV show. And they brought you back for, I believe, season three, correct? When they, you guys, they, they did the training at Camp, Camp Pendleton? That's correct. So that's kind of cool there. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. Phil reached out to me um, earlier, obviously, before they even started and said, hey, what do you think about a military-themed episode? And I thought that, that was a phenomenal idea. And uh, we wanted to get, um, you know, Merrill, who is the retired Air Force colonel, uh, from season two involved, but it, the logistics were just too hard to kind of get the Air Force and the Marine Corps. So um, we ended up, it was focusing, you know, it was a Marine Corps episode. It was filmed on Marine Corps base. There were real Marines in support of the show, Marine equipment being used. Um, but that's where I spent 15 years of my career. So when I got back to go back to Camp Pendleton, yeah. it was the first Pendleton that I retired. And it was just, it was like a homecoming because I'd been on that beach many times as a Marine training. So the with that location, you know, meant a lot to me being back on the base, being around Marines again. It, it was phenomenal. And then to be part of the show, it, it was great. And plus, there was no pressure for me. I wasn't competing. So I, I got to act, watch, relax. You know, the stress of competing wasn't there. I just had a great, you know, I was out there for a couple of days for, um, you know, for this, the, the filming of the whole episode, which took two days. Um, it was just an amazing time. It was a great experience. I was so thankful for Phil to, to bring me back out on the show, you know, to get to meet the contestants. It's very humbling, too, because when they see you, you know, they're cheering for you. And I'm like, I'm in the same position you were. Right. It's different. But, they, you know, they're like, hey, fill us in, give us your guidance. And what would you do different this, you know, how would you approach the season? And it was just cool to give them a little bit of guidance from what it was like to be on season one. But it's very... It's so cool to be back on Camp Pendleton and the, the whole organization of the show. Has that experience – I've had Captain Dale die on the podcast, and he we became the really famous military advisor for films and TV shows. Has that been an opportunity that's come your way yet through Phil or maybe a different production company where it's like this guy has the training experience, maybe utilize him on maybe creating an actual show specific to the military or something like that? Not yet, but trust me, if something like – that's awesome. I'm, I'd be more than willing to, to listen to that opportunity because I just like the big thing. I'm, I'm willing to, I, I'll try anything at least once. Um, you know, that's how I got involved in, I'll, I'll say modeling is <laughs> a, a company reached out to me after the season premiere and says, Hey, what do you think about modeling? I'm like, no, that's not my, They're like, I'll oh, come on, we'll fly you out you know, change some clothes. We'll take some pictures of you. And so I, I said, well, okay, I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. I don't want to turn down an opportunity. And then that afternoon they offered me, Hey, we want to keep you on. So I go out um, quarterly to this one company and do workwear modeling for them. And it's been in their catalog now the last couple of years. 
um, people be shopping on Amazon and said, Hey Murph, I just saw you on Amazon or, or whatever the company is. So right. that's an opportunity that came because of the show, but you know, I didn't want to turn that down. So I'd rather try something and fell at it than to not try something and wonder the rest of my life, man, what could have happened if, and I never want to use the word if, right. You know, sure. Okay. You sucked at it. Okay. I tried. <sighs> I got an acting coach because I was offered a uh, position to possibly so I did some acting lessons for a little bit and I'm like uh maybe not right now I, I need a lot more practice but right. I tried it I would try it again too if if the right opportunity came but at least I know what I'm good at what I'm not good at what I could work on to be a little bit better at well it's gotta be cool for you to have again you take advantage of these opportunities that lay at your feet and why not take the shot right but for other veterans that are in these similar shoes when they see you do this stuff or even with that show or what you're doing now, it's like, how cool is it for you to be a role model for someone that is looking for that, maybe that gumption or that energy to follow their dream or find their passion or hobby. And here you are doing that every day. It's like, it's gotta be kind of cool too, for you to see like your impact you've had on people's lives. Yeah. It's yeah. I just consider myself a, a normal dude that had a great opportunity uh, but I do, pe people write me a lot. I had a few, um, so for example, this one Marine that I mentored like 20 some years ago, just reached out to me like a, not too long ago because he just retired. And he said, I just want to let you know that the reason I had a successful career were the things that you taught me the first year I was in the Marine Corps. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's impactful. You never know what kind of impact you make in people's lives. Sometimes you'll never know. But I had so many people reach out to me, you know, Marines that had served around me when I was um, in the Marine Corps. And they're like, hey, Murph, just so you know, I'm successful because of this thing that you showed me or I tried to emulate you. And, you know, that's very humbling. And I think all veterans, um, no matter what branch of the military you're in, you know, you mentor the person underneath you I and mean, you mentor multiple people. And sometimes you just may never know, but just know that you do make a difference in people's lives. Right. You've mentioned your daughters and, and being a father, but in terms of your upbringing versus you as a father today, like how, what are the changes you've noticed when you were a kid with your parents versus you as an adult with your kids today? Like, is there anything out there like how difficulty or how difficult is it to raise daughters in this day and age? Um, I don't know. I, I think I got, I think I'm a very lucky dad. I have uh, two daughters and a son. And I mean, they never gave trouble. You know, they we try to always tell them what the expectation was and then, you know, give them the tools to help meet it. And I just got lucky. They're all good kids um, staying out of trouble, you know, doing what they what they need to do in, uh, as adults, because all of them are adults now, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. But, um, you know, my dad was a good dad. He was an army in Vietnam, um, blue collar worker. You know, so I got to see what hard work and my mom was a factory worker. So, you know, I had blue collar parents. So I, I understood what hard work meant. Um, you know, my kids watched us grow up or watched us as parents working hard. And um, I just think they, I think they grew up seeing what work ethic looked like. And I think that's the, for me, the best thing I could show my kids is, Hey, this is what a good work ethic looks like. These are the things you need to do to be successful. And then hopefully they'll they'll do what they need to do to, to be successful as well. Right. 
Man, this has been awesome, Kelly. Before I let you go, if people want to reach out to you or follow your your life and career or see your motivational, uh, insane deadlifts you do, uh, what's the best way? What's your Instagram? Is that the only social media you use? Like, if people want to talk to you, reach out to you, support you, how do they do that? Um, Instagram is what I'm on mostly. Um, it's KWMURPH72. So KWMURF72. I also have a Twitter with the same handle, but I'm really, I only started Twitter uh, to help support the show. So when the season comes out, you know, I'll post some stuff about the next tough as nail season and things of that nature. But I'm on Instagram, like almost every day, um, you know, posting something, shouting somebody out, just communicating with, with people. But that's definitely the best way to reach me is through, through Instagram. No, it's it's awesome. And uh, again, thank you for your service to the country and what you're continuing to do. And uh, yeah, it's, it was an awesome talk. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spirit Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast. And if you use code SPIRITALK15, you get 15% off your first order or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through Nice Fucking Candles. Nice Fucking Candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65 hour burn time, maybe more, if you uh, nurse the flame a little bit, maybe. I don't know, I'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles, but I will say these things burn a long fucking time. You ask me about the wick, it's a double wick for even burning, which is amazing. And uh, they come in three incredible flavors. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to be eating these candles, but if you do like them, the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng, tobacco and fireside, and seaside and driftwood. Once again, uh, nice fucking candles. They are the candle company for Spirit Talk. And if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. 
Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.